you are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, including our gathering times at Fishers, Eagle Creek, Noblesville, Pendleton, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Mike Melito. We are back in 2 Samuel today. I have missed this. Uh, and uh, if you're fairly new to Life Church, we uh, do what's called expository preaching, which means we pick a book of the Bible and we go through it verse by verse until we're done with that whole book. And the book we're in right now is 2 Samuel. Once in a while, we take uh, some off weeks, like last week, Easter Sunday, we preached an Easter message. Uh, but today we're back on with 2 Samuel. I want to ask you a question. And um, I think it's something we could all relate with. Have you ever wanted two things that are actually opposed to one another? You're like, what do I mean? Like, I want to lose weight and have, you know, a good body, but I also want tacos. Okay? I also like donuts or whatever. Uh, I want to get good grades, but I also don't want to study. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, you've wanted two things, and if I could get those two things, it would be great, but they don't work. It doesn't work that way. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We're going to see a little bit of that uh, today in the passage that we're going to read. And when we first read this passage, and I want to read the whole thing first and then jump into it, you're probably going to be thinking to yourself, what kind of, what, what kind of meaning are we going to pull from this today? But there is great meaning to this, and, and you're probably going to be wondering, what does that wanting two things opposed to each other have to do with it? We're going to get there, um, but I just want to go ahead and kick it off. Second uh, Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. During the long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, David was growing stronger, and the house of Saul was becoming weaker. Sons were born to David in Hebron. His first son was Amnon by Ahinom, the Jezreelite. His second was Chiliab by Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. And the third was Absalom, son of Makkah, the daughter of King Talmai of Geshur. The fourth was Adonijah, son of Haggith. The fifth was Sheftiah, the son of Abital. And the sixth was Ithrim by David's wife Elga. I practiced those names all week, by the way, so um, I feel like I did all right with that. So he had a lot of uh, sons. These were born to David in Hebron. During the war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner kept acquiring more and more power in the house of Saul. Now Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, daughter of Aya, and Ishbosheth questioned Abner. Why did you sleep with my father's concubine? Abner was very angry about Ishbosheth's accusation. Am I a dog's head who belongs to Judah, he asked. All this time I've been loyal to the family of your father, to his brothers and to his friends, and haven't betrayed you to David. But now you accuse me of wrongdoing with this woman. May God punish Abner and do so severely if I don't do for David what the Lord swore to him to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and establish the throne of David over Israel and Judah from Dan to Beersheba. Ishbosheth did not dare respond to Abner because he was afraid of him. So uh, last we were in 2 Samuel, there was kind of this civil war going on, and you saw this confrontation happened between Abner and Job. Uh, Pastor Nathan was here. Joab was here to talk about that. And that civil war really continues 
We see here it says in verse 1, during the long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, David was growing stronger and the house of Saul was becoming weaker. And as that civil war continues, I just want to kind of ask this question rhetorically to ourselves. Why is there even a war going on to begin with? Because it seems to me that everyone knew who was supposed to be king. And everybody knew that the Lord actually said who was supposed to be king. And so why is there this fighting going on? Why are there generals like Joab that we read about that are going off and doing their own thing or uh, generals like Abner who are still building up the house of Saul? Why is all of this going on and civil war going on? Civil war is not something nobody wants, by the way, right? Over 620,000 Americans died in our own civil war. And that's only half the story. When you think about it, it's brother against brother, sister against sister. It's people killing their own people. And why? Why is this happening? I know Pastor Nathan said they forgot who their real enemy is, but I'm going to just say it this way. They also forgot who their king is. They also forgot who their king is. And let me gently say this. It's really no different today. Time and time again in the scriptures, when we look at David, we're looking at someone that's supposed to be a type of Christ. And Jesus is the king, amen? He is our king. And even when we know God's desire, our king's desire, we don't always go along with it, do we? Or in fact, sometimes we step outside of it and we do things we know he doesn't want us to do. We step outside of those things. We do our own thing. We talked about it in worship today. God is faithful even when we're unfaithful. Thank God for that. That does not mean unfaithfulness is okay. It doesn't mean that. Because what happens when we're unfaithful, what happens when we try to serve God and have our own way, you get what I'm saying there, we find ourselves opposite of God's kingdom, and we start to deal with a little bit of hell on earth. That's what that's like. When you try to have it both ways, that's when it gets complicated, right? I talked about wanting, you know, to lose weight and liking tacos too, right? And, and here's what I, I learned on my journey when I lost 100 pounds. Losing weight is actually really simple. It's, it's not hard. And when people ask me, what did you do? I said, well, I ate less and did more. I mean, that really is all I did. And it's super simple, Right? But that doesn't mean it's easy. It's actually very difficult. It's very difficult, right? Just because something is simple doesn't mean it's easy. It's difficult. But when I try to have it both ways, now I've made it difficult. I've made it complicated. I've made it frustrating. And nothing good is going to happen out of that. And it's in, in the same way, when we try to have it both ways with Jesus, we make it complicated, don't we? Something that's super simple. Jesus is my king. He's the leader of my life. When you come to Jesus, you ask him to be the savior of your life, but you also ask him to be what? The Lord of your life. My leader. You call the shots now, Jesus. And so many of us are great with calling him savior, but we're not so good at letting him be king. But that's, it's a simple thing to let Jesus be king. I'm going to do things your way from now on, Lord. Super simple. But we complicate it sometimes, don't we? 
And we see this happening in Israel where they're having this civil war. What's something that should be super simple, and it's not because they're fighting against who their king is supposed to be, and there's pointless suffering happening. By the way, when you try to have it both ways with God, you suffer needlessly. You suffer needlessly. So that's what we're seeing happen. And we have to really take some time, even in that first verse, to recognize why it's happening because we start to see a little bit of how, how this applies to us. Verse 2. Sons were born to David in Hebron. And it goes on to list the sons whose names I practiced and got them down pretty good. They were born to David in Hebron. So, but I want to point out here is not the sons this time, but the moms. Because <laughs> there were multiple moms. David came into this, we came into David, he already had two wives, but that now, by now he had eight wives. So he's having kids with all of these wives. And I just want to talk about the elephant in the room here. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Because the Bible called David a man after God's own heart, and he's got eight wives. What is that about? <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Hey, speaking of uh, husbands and wives, today is my parents' 46th wedding anniversary. And I'm happy to say my, my dad's only been married to this one wife this whole time, so... Um, so proud and thankful for them. And, and just incidentally, in two days from now, it's my dad's birthday. So, if, yeah, so. <laughs> Happy birthday, you're married. So. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but I want to talk about the elephant in the room because this really causes a lot of people to stumble if we don't understand what's really going on here. Because you look at this and you say, so is the Bible okay with that? Is the Bible okay with David having all these wives? Because I know at least today we don't do that, right? We're, we don't practice that. In fact, in the New Testament it says that we should be the husband of one wife. But that's not just in the New Testament, David is actually breaking God's law. He's not right for what he's doing. And the Bible doesn't say he's right, by the way. It's pretty clear when you read in Genesis and then when you read again in, in uh, Deuteronomy that we are, we are not, kings are not supposed to take on multiple wives to themselves. So David's already flawed here in a major way. And what does this mean? Well, it means David's going to pay a very dear price for this. He's trying to have things both ways, Right? You can go down through the list of his kids and you, wanna, you think sibling rivalries are real today? Imagine sibling rivalries across different moms in the same house, right? And it gets real. They, they, they murder each other. One of them rapes his sister. Uh, two of them try to take the throne from David. He reaps a lot of whirlwind for his decisions here, and we'll see that even in some in Samuel as we continue how much trouble David gets himself into. So this doesn't go unanswered. He actually suffers a great deal from this. And what do we learn from that? God's laws have a great purpose. There's a reason God said one wife, one husband. There's a reason. Because he's trying to show us the way to have a good life. 
Even when you look at the Ten Commandments, you know, a lot of people think, you know, if I start living for the Lord, does that mean I have to stop a bunch of things and, and you know, all the rules that he has? Well, what rules he has are actually, by the way, pretty simple. But when you look at them, don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't lie. These are the ways to actually have a good life. Nobody wants to be stolen from or being convicted of stealing. Nobody likes to be called a liar or not, be, not to be trusted. So when you look at what God says, there's a reason for those laws, and he's trying to prevent us, again, from needless suffering when he gives those. And he was trying to do that for David. He tries to do that for us, and we, again, sometimes try to have it both ways. And so we see that in David's life. The other thing that we learn about this is God's word is reliable. Having this in the Bible, to me, makes it more credible. Why? Because the Bible will always tell the truth. The Bible will always tell the truth, the whole truth. David's been called a man after God's own heart. It might have been natural for the writers of the Bible, for God in the Bible, to gloss over some of these parts, and he doesn't. God's word tells us as it is and as it happened, and the Bible doesn't do that. It will always tell the truth. You really can't have that kind of guarantee with any other publication these days. Am I right? But God's word is, is faithful and reliable. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The word of God is living and effective, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give account. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and in righteousness. And as such, God's word will always show us who we are. So when we look at David and we see him doing these things, lest we're careful, we can at least, I may not have eight wives, but I know that I'm a broken person too. I have flaws. I have failures. And I see that, and I'm reminded of that when I look at David. James chapter 1, verse 22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because anyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like someone looking at his own face in the mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. So the word of God is a mirror. And so when we come across passages like this, first of all, it's not saying it's okay what he's doing, but God's word is telling us how it is. And it's not holding anything back and makes it trustworthy. And here's the thing. God still used David. And maybe that's what trips you up the most or trips somebody up the most. Why would God still use such a, a guy with eight wives? I don't know. Why does God still use you and me? right? If God, some of us, uh, you know, we would, at least for ourselves, say, you know, I'm not perfect, right? And we, but we think God only uses perfect people. Well, if God only used perfect people, he wouldn't have anybody to use. He would have no workers. He wouldn't have anybody. But the miracle of the fact is, he still uses us in spite of our failures. He redeems us. He gives us purpose 
even though that's his grace, that's his mercy. And so when you break down a, a lineage like this and you just look at a list of names, you go, look at all those wives. What? Just remember, God uses you and me too. Amen? So we learn that David was disobeying God and there was a price to pay. God's word will always tell us the truth. And God has to use imperfect people, otherwise no one could be used. And that's good news to us today. Verse 6. During the war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner kept acquiring more power in the house of Saul. Now Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, daughter of Aiah, and Ishbosheth questioned Abner, why did you sleep with my father's concubine? That's a serious accusation there. But, uh, and I think Pastor Nathan covered a little bit of this, but Abner is the one that put Ishbosheth in Saul's place. He's trying to basically follow the, um, the traditions of the world, which is to make the son of the last king, the next king. But he also knew, Abner also knew Ishbosheth was a weak man. He was a weak leader, and Abner was a strong leader. And so arguably, Abner also had some, maybe some selfish ambition in doing what he was doing, because it even says here, Abner kept acquiring more power in the house of Saul. And so he was probably enjoying that, up to the point where he took Saul's concubine. And that's, we already talked about wives and concubines. He wasn't supposed to do that. But there is a meaning behind this. If a, a man came and took a king's concubine, that was an open statement saying, I'm going to take, I want to take your throne. So it wasn't just that he slept with Saul's concubine, because when you first read it, you're like, Saul's dead anyway, so so what? Well, Ishbosheth, the king, saw that and said, Wait a minute, Abner, what are you doing? And we see how weak Ishbosheth is. It says, verse 8, Abner was very angry about Ishbosheth's accusation. Am I a dog's head? <laughs> I think that's a funny question, by the way. <laughs> what am I, chopped liver? Or what am I, nothing? I'm waiting for the day where I get to use that question on somebody. Am I a dog's head? <laughs> Do it in the middle of a, a really bad fight me and Donya have, which never happens, by the way. Um, we don't fight. We have intense fellowship. Um, <laughs> so one of these days when we're having intense fellowship I'm just going to break the ice with what am I a dog's head <laughs> that'll do it <laughs> am I a dog's head who belongs to Judah he asked all this time I've been loyal to the family of your father Saul to his brothers to his friends and haven't betrayed you to David but now you accuse me of wrongdoing with this woman. Am I an imbecile? Am I insignificant? Uh, you're here because of me, Ishbosheth. Who do you think you are? I put you there. That's really the sentiment that's coming across here, which is audacious because Abner's not the king, he's supposed to be the general for the king. He was Saul's general. He's supposed to be Ishbosheth's general. And this kind of uncovers a little bit, I think, Abner's real intentions, his real motives. Remember, we read in Hebrews chapter 4 the word of God is like a double edged sword that cuts down to our motives. 
And we have to examine our hearts when we see this and ask ourselves this. What are my selfish ambitions? What sort of things in my life might I be manipulating for my selfish ambitions? Verse 9. May God punish Abner and do so severely if I don't do for David what the Lord swore to him. May God, I'm going to read that again. May God punish Abner and do so severely if I don't do for David what the Lord swore to him to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and establish the throne of David. So if there was any doubt, if there was any doubt that Abner knew who was supposed to be king, this has settled it, right? This has settled any doubts. Abner knew who was supposed to be king. So why didn't he go to that king to begin with? Well, because he could make, make a, a, his own kingdom, so to speak. He could set up his own situation that's really nice and cushy, right? That's what we just talked about. That was his selfish ambition. And it says that, I, hey, listen, I'm going to do what God said to do. I'm going to transfer the throne to David over Israel and Judah from Dan to Beersheba. In verse 11, Ishbosheth did not dare respond to Abner because he was afraid of him, because he was afraid of him. <laughs> See the weakness there? So all of a sudden, Abner is going to go do the right thing. He's going to go to the right king. He's going to go to the right man. What is that about all of a sudden? Have you ever seen somebody do the right thing for the wrong reason? You know what I'm talking about? And when they do the right thing for the wrong reason, they might as well not have even done the right thing. <laughs> Anybody know? Like, you've seen this, right? Sometimes it's something as simple as, you know, your kid's coming up to you and saying, I love you, Dad, because they really want something. <laughs> right? We still enjoy that, though, don't we? But sometimes it's something bigger. But it's manipulative. It's driven by selfish ambition. And all of a sudden, Abner, you know, he sees some things getting upset in his nice, cushy situation. So he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to the real king, Ishbosheth. You, can you see a parallel any, before I po point this out? Because here's the deal. The temptation for us, and perhaps really, if we could argue we all do this, is to set up our lives in such a way that is nice for us. I'm in charge. I'm in control. I can move pieces around for me. But eventually, when things get rough, when things get uncomfortable, when things get difficult, when things get complicated, well, then we might go to Jesus. Then we might go and say, you know what? I'm going to go to the one who was promised to be king and who made all these promises to me because he's going to fix my problems. He's going to make things good again. He's going to do all these things. 
What am I saying? I'm saying we do the same thing that Abner's doing to David with Jesus. In fact, I could argue this. It's sobering when you think about it. At least when we first go to Jesus, that's exactly how we go to Jesus. God even will allow things or use things in our life that will drive us to our knees to come to him. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that necessarily. But if that's the only reason we go to Jesus, there's something wrong with that. And that's what Abner was doing. He's going to David just because it was advantageous for him. He didn't care about David. He didn't want to give David any honor. He didn't actually want to honor the Lord. And when we go to Jesus for the wrong reasons, it's heartbreaking for me to see sometimes someone come to the Lord and after a month or so, when Jesus hasn't just made their life any easier, they give it up. They give it up. And, and the truth comes out. Because this is the only reason why we go to Jesus, right? Because if you don't fix my problems, Jesus, then what, what good are you? And that's what we see here. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes this morning. God, you're so good. You're so good, you're so faithful to us. You are the King of kings, you are the Lord of lords. You're good in the laws that you give us. You're good in your grace and your mercy. You're good in your lordship and you're good as our savior. You are a good God. And as we look at a difficult passage today that confronts us on many fronts, would you draw us in by your grace and mercy now and assure every heart, even the ones that are saying, man, this really read my mail today, assure their hearts that there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. It's your grace and your mercy that draw us to repentance. With your eyes closed this morning, there's a couple things going on in this passage. The first is trying to have things both ways. Yeah, I want Jesus to be my Savior, but I still want to call the own, my own shots. Wanting two things that are opposed to one another. And I realized the words confronting that thing in me today, not to make your life miserable, but to set you free. Say, Pastor, that's me this morning. I don't like the way this feels anymore. Would you pray for me? Would you raise your hand this morning? Just let me know. Amen. Amen. Yeah. I've been trying to have it both ways in my life, and 
It's made things so complicated and I'm suffering, as you say, needlessly. Anybody else? Maybe you're here this morning and you say, I've gone to Jesus for all the wrong reasons. And today, I just want to make a commitment to him that even if he did nothing else for me, he's already done more than I deserve and I love him and serve him because he's my king and he deserves it. And you say, today I just kind of want to make that, want to draw a line in the sand today. Say, okay, God, if you did nothing else for me, which he will, by the way, but even if he didn't, even if you don't, Lord, you've already done more than I deserve and I will worship you always because you deserve it. Say, that's me. I want to draw that line in the sand today. Will you raise your hand? Amen. Amen. I just want to draw a line in the sand. He may never do all the things you think he should do, but he is still worthy. Amen. He is still worthy. And I will tell you this. One day in eternity, you will never look back and say, I regret worshiping God even when he didn't do what I thought he should do. You will never regret that, ever. You will regret the opposite. Anybody else this morning? I want to draw a line in the sand. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.